Welcome. You're listening to the Equine Photographers Podcast, the place to learn from top equine professionals around the world as they share their experience and knowledge on what it takes to be an accomplished equine photographer. Now your hosts, Peter DeMott and Gigi Embricks. This is Peter DeMott, and I'm here with Tony Stromberg, internationally known equine photographer. Uh, we'll be talking about his life and career in photography and with horses. And hi, Tony. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm, do- I'm doing good. How is it in New Mexico right now, weather-wise? It's unseasonably warm. What is it, in the 80s or something? No, it's about 60, but it's February. Usually in February this time of year. It should be about 30. Right. Right. I think we're going to be up in the 50s by Friday. So, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Well, uh, I was uh, looking through some of your things, and uh, it sounded like you were a commercial photographer for some time before you got into horses. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I did advertising photography for a good 20 years before I started doing working with horses. Long career. Started in my probably my mid twenties, mostly in the uh, in the San Francisco area. I started in Silicon Valley and you know did a lot of high tech work and then kind of moved up from there uh-huh. into San Francisco and ended up doing a lot of advertising work and pretty much the whole spectrum. I I started out doing fashion, then that evolved into uh, food and then some architecture, corporate work, high tech. Uh, and towards the end, I did a lot of conceptual still life work. Um, so I pretty much ran the whole gamut. So at one point, then you started uh, doing some things in your spare time with horses, apparently, mm-hmm. and uh, found that to be much more gratifying to you? Much more. You know, I was burned out on many levels doing the advertising work. I think what had happened was um, I'd become so good at doing what anyone wanted me to do that I kind of lost touch with who I was and what my passions were. And a friend of mine invited me up one weekend to come up with her and uh, spend some time with her horse. And I did, and I took a camera and, you know, up to that point, I didn't, I couldn't tell a horse from a cow really. And uh, I went up and just on the weekend just started taking pictures and hanging out and realized there was something about them that just really drew me. And I started to um, photograph them just as a personal hobby. No intention of ever doing anything with it. And it just grew from there. You know, I see different parts of your uh, business. And this is a podcast about the business of equine photography. But can you sort of take us the different places that you've been in terms of where you made money with equine photography and, and how it grew to what it is today. You know, it's funny, Peter, because I doing the advertising work, um, to be in that world, it's a very competitive, almost cutthroat world. You have to constantly market, constantly push. I was constantly doing, you know, in those days, a lot of mass mailing promotions. And, you know, I had my portfolio out almost every day somewhere. I would say 85% of the work was put into marketing, probably actually 20% into actually shooting. 
And that's really typical of that business. So when I um, started doing my work with horses, I just did it for, for pleasure. You know, and I, I built up a body of work and, you know, gave some prints to friends and things like that, but never really had any intention of doing anything with it. It's funny because the way it unfolded from the very beginning was the opposite of what I was used to with all the advertising work. You mean the, wor- the word of mouth was driving it and you didn't have to do any marketing? Yeah, I think the doors just opened. You know, I moved from the Bay Area to Santa Fe right around the turn of the century. Uh, I made a leap of faith. I was really burned out and I had lived here before. Uh, back in the 80s, and I really liked it. And I just thought I'd take a leap of faith and uh, move back there and see if I could find a niche. And I did. Um, so you completely dropped out of the commercial work and just dropped into the equine? Totally. I, I basically shut down my business in San Francisco. Wow. Moved to Santa Fe and ended up actually, ironically, I ended up doing a lot of architectural work. A lot of real estate in town, a lot of builders, you know, a lot of high-end homes. So I ended up kind of finding a niche there for several years. And, uh, you know, I wasn't making nearly as much as I was in San Francisco, but, you know, it was enough. And in the meantime, I was continuing to photograph horses. And uh, I had a fascination with what they call equine-assisted psychotherapy. There's a lot of catchphrases for that nowadays, but using horses in a therapeutic setting for personal growth. And I went to uh, Arizona. I studied with a woman named Linda Kohanov, who wrote a book called The Tao of Equus. And did some workshops with her and studied with her. And she had a uh, was working on her second book at the time when I met her. And she took a look at my work and said, you know, you need to do something with this work. I want to introduce you to my publisher. Wow. And she did. Uh, yeah, and she did, and they loved my work. I went and flew to California and met them and uh, pretty much walked out with a book deal. Wow. And it Which happened, book was you know, that? This was uh, Spirit Horses, the first uh-huh. book. And what was amazing to me was that uh, there was absolutely no effort involved. I, there was no selling. There was no trying. There was no pushing. The doors just opened right in front of me. And, you know, I don't know if you know anyone, anyone who's tried to get a book published these days, but it's a very difficult thing to accomplish. Most of the publishers don't even look at unsolicited manuscripts anymore, which means you've got to work through an agent or self-publish. Right. Well, one of the people we interviewed earlier does self-publishing, and she's, she makes a living at it too, but she did do self-publishing. So that's, that's interesting. So, but you must have a stack of those books somewhere that you sell directly, or, or is it all through the publisher? Most, most of it's through the publisher. I mean, I have a stack of books, and I, I sell signed copies to people if they want, but um, mostly it's through the publisher. You know, and the, I think that's the advantage over self-publishing is they've got all the distribution channels set up. You know, what, once they get a book out there, it ends up on the shelves of Borders and Barnes and & Noble and independent bookstores and libraries so they do all the legwork really so where did it go from there you got the book going and then what else did you start putting together as part of your business i got the book going uh as a result of that ended up starting a an agreement with the calendar company amber lotus publishing 
who's been publishing a calendar now, I think for, I think for 10 years now, a long time. That's always been pretty well and done pretty well. I've gotten a lot of people contacting me through that as well as the book. And I also licensed probably about 15 images with a poster publisher, New York Graphic Society, and did actually pretty well with them in the beginning. And so the combination of those three things, really the posters, the calendars, and the books started to bring in a lot of people. And um, at one point, someone asked me, you know, a few people asked, do you do workshops? And I, you know, I never thought about it up to that point. Now, how, how recently was that? Because obviously you've been doing those for quite a while. That was back in, I think, 2002 was the first one. It's been about, I think I'm in my 13th year now. And that's really been my mainstay uh, ever since. You know, people asked and I put together my first workshop in Santa Fe. It was very low-key, very organic. In fact, we even started it with a slideshow in the barn uh, with people sitting on straw bales. And uh, I think we used a sheet for a projection screen. Wow. So very basic. <laughs> it was, yeah, six mm. people. Uh, uh-huh. You know, but I got my feet wet and uh, really liked doing them. When I, I noticed that you're doing them all over the world. Yeah, I am. So you've got some in uh, New Mexico and Tuscany, Italy, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't yeah. know. I, I don't know where the other ones are, I, but it looked like there was three or four or five different countries that you're doing them in. Yeah, we're doing them in um, Morocco. Uh, Portugal is always a really popular one. Last year I did uh, Tuscany. Tuscany region of Italy and uh, southern France. That's always been popular as well. So that's your mainstay. That's mm-hmm. would you say that's seventy five percent of your income for the year? Probably eighty. How much does somebody invest to participate in one of those? Typically, it depends. The domestic ones. I mean, I do some every year. I've done in the U.S. One. I've always done one in Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. Um. And you limit the size because I saw there was a waiting list on one. I limit the size to typically 12, sometimes 10. You know, I've found historically that 12, 12 is a lot. That's kind of the limit. Above and beyond that, it gets a little bit unmanageable. And I can't, I, I just can't uh, spend the time I want to spend with each individual person. And are these equine enthusiasts or professional photographers or photographers that don't know horses? What, I mean, what's it's a little, little bit of everything, Peter. Uh-huh. Some people are on the amateur end. They just love horses and they want to learn more or they want to take better pictures of their own. Or some of them are horse enthusiasts and photographers who, you know, just want to up their skill level. Some are working professionals just looking for um, nice horses to photograph. You know, it's really more about the locations for them. So it's pretty much a broad spectrum. Yeah, so you were getting into their investment. The domestic ones have a certain uh, fee associated with them versus the international ones, which would have a fee plus, of course, getting there, right? Right. The domestic ones, each one's a little bit different. The one I do in Santa Fe, I, I think the last time I did the fee was around 1400 I believe, but that did not include accommodations or meals. So people would still have to come to town, find a hotel. Is, and how many days is that? 
That's five days. Uh-huh. Okay. Five full shooting days. I do one in Wyoming at a little small ranch up there near um, Dubois, which is about an hour and a half from Jackson Hole. That's been a really popular one. Uh, that one is $1,700 for five days, and that one includes everything. It's accommodations, meals. You know, we all stay there. We all eat together, shoot together, and edit together. And I like those a lot. They're fun. The European ones are a little more. I they typically thirty five hundred dollars, thirty six somewhere in that range, and those are longer. Those are seven full shooting days plus a, an arrival day and a departure day and the before and after that. So I mean, that much shooting is are are people like totally exhausted by the time they're done, or are they totally energized? I think they're energized. You know, I don't structure. You know, the way I work is I don't. You know, I'm not out there at five in the morning with people and, and again, in, you know, the end of the day, shooting until 7.30 at night. Uh, basically, you know, we start leisurely. Uh, we have breakfast. We meet after breakfast and do our editing there for two to three hours in the morning. We'll do our editing and Photoshop work. And is that a time when you're instructing them? Uh-huh. Okay. Basically. Yeah. You know, what I do is I go through the whole process with people from I shoot um, along with them. The next day, next morning, uh, we download and I edit my images and I show people how I edit and, and exactly what I do to an image to bring it to the finished point. And people seem to really like that. You know, I'm really seeing my entire process from start to finish. And I think that's an important part. I do also teach out in the field when we're shooting. You know, I share you know, camera settings and lenses and angles and, you know, my kind of way of seeing and how I set things up. But a lot of it is uh, also in the editing end. So typically, you know, mornings we do that. If people are more skilled already and they don't feel they need that part, uh, they'll go into town and kind of roam around and just do local, you know, on the street type photos, um, which is fun too. So we, we definitely make time for that. We meet for lunch, and after lunch, we gather, and we usually go off to a different shooting location each afternoon. So typically, we'll shoot in the afternoons from 3, 3.30 till about 7, until the light's not so good anymore. And then we'll, then we'll carpool back to the hotel and have dinner and start the whole process again. So it's, you know, it's not an intense pace, you know, where people are burned out at the end of the week. Like I say, you know, a lot of people will go and they'll shoot, they'll do early morning, you know, morning shoots and evening shoots with the middle part of the day more free. But I think that's too much for people, you know, to get the right light in the morning, you've got to really be out and set up by 6.30 or 7 o'clock. Yeah, that's just too much. It's too much, yeah. That was, that became 80% of your business. But before that, were you doing any stock work or... Other than the calendar company and the book? Very little stock work. You know, that's an area I never really pursued much. I almost signed with one agency in Florida, and I was about to hand over my basically my entire body of work. And uh, I put out a notice. I think it was one of the photographer sites. I think it might have been ASMP, something like that. And I got a lot of responses back from people saying, do not sign. If basically you're going to get your images locked up for five years, 
they'll probably sell a few in the beginning, but the good chance they'll get buried in the archives and uh, you won't be able to do anything else with them. Wow. So okay. I, you know, I did my homework and I backed out of that deal at the last minute and uh, never really pursued it much beyond that. You know, I, I know people who've done stock, who've been very successful with it, but I know a lot of people who have tried and haven't really gotten anywhere. So, well, stock has really changed in the last it's, 10 oh, years for sure. It has changed a lot. I think all, all right. the big agencies have bought up all the little agencies. You know, and I see a lot of photographers selling their rights, you know, giving exclusive, selling their whole body of work for a flat fee, you know, for a lot of these uh, royalty-free stock companies. And then, you know, I, I don't know what it ends up to per image, but it's really not that much. So then the other thing I see on your website is a lot of uh, art or print sale opportunities. Do you do you sell very much through that? Not a whole lot. You know, I stopped, the, you know, the I did in the beginning. Uh, I started with a small gallery in Santa Fe and they they did OK. They did pretty well. But she limited uh, the owner, limited what she felt was the highest price she could ask. So a frame, for instance, a framed 16 by 20 would go for about 450 max. You know, of course, out of that, I would have to pay the cost of the framing. So, you know, you do the and math. production. Yeah. 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 It just wasn't worth it. And I started to up my prices a little bit. And, you know, I've had probably 10 or 12 galleries over the course of the last 10 years. And the pretty much all gone except one. But now you have an online gallery uh, for online art sales. Do you get anything from that? A little bit. Not a whole lot. Okay. You know, it's one of those things. I just redesigned my website and put up a new page with a kind of a library of prints print, and priced, it, priced them by size. So this is all brand new as of last oh, week. Oh, okay. It's all brand new. Prior to that, I just had a, a thing on my website that said, if you're interested in prints, call me or email me. Okay, well, that would be, that's completely different then. So we don't know what this is going to do. No, I have no idea. Uh -huh. you know, like I say, it just launched. In fact, I was talking to the web designer today, and I said, can I do a post and announce it? And she said, yeah, give us one more day to work out the bugs. <laughs> so in the next couple of days, I'll actually do an announcement and do a big Facebook you know, announcement. Mentioning Facebook... You have 799,671 likes. <laughs> How did that happen? That's a good question. I, um... <laughs> well, I was looking at Carol Walker's. I think she's at about 230,000. But, uh, you know, I guess there's some rappers that might have 700,000 likes. <laughs> but you're, you're not a rapper, are you? No, <laughs> not yet. I do see you on Facebook frequently, so I I use it quite a bit. You know, I I resisted social media for a long time, and I think it was about three years ago. I was talking with a friend. And I said, you know, I have 167 likes on my business page, and I'd like to make set a goal of having 10,000 by the end of the year. And I think this was in February. So I I took out an ad. And um, an on Facebook ad, a Facebook ad. Okay. Yeah. And I started. I think I started it. I budgeted thirty. I think it was thirty dollars a day in the beginning. 
And, and what did the ad say? It was just a picture, one of my more well-known pictures. And God, I can't even remember what it says now. Something like, um, you know, love photography, love horses. And I, I think it might have been promoting workshops. I don't remember. It was so long ago. Um, but, you know, click here. Maybe it was that simple. Maybe it was just like photography, like horses. You know, look at my work. So you hit 10,000 in about a week or what? <laughs> it, well, it grew really fast. There was a point. Um, and I also hired, there's some company that also did uh, social media marketing. I hired them for about two months to help. And I don't think they really did that much. I think really most of it came from the ad campaign I did. And at some point, it started to take off. I thought, wow, I'm, I dropped it down. I dropped it down to $10 a day, I think. It was growing so fast, and it continued to grow almost as equally as fast. And there was a point where I was getting something like 10,000 new likes a week, which was, to me, that was phenomenal. Yeah. Well, to anybody, that's phenomenal. Yeah. So after yeah. about six months, after five or six months of my little ad, I just stopped advertising, and it continued to grow. And continues to to this day you know i'm pretty good about posting things regularly so do you uh, post samples of from recent shoots or do yeah. you what do you do yeah usually mm -hmm. you know as i do workshops and i shoot i generate a lot of new work from that and uh you know i share those as i go through the editing process sometimes if you know if i'm at a workshop i'll try and post one every day i don't usually do that but i try to when I'm back at home, you know, it can be anywhere from once, one or two a week to, you know, and sometimes I don't do it for two weeks, then I'll do three in a row, three days in a row. Do you, do you have a, a watermark on those or are they small? What do you, what do you do? I have a watermark. I do, okay. um, usually if I can do it across the middle of the image, I do, but sometimes that just destroys the image. So I'll put it above or below. You know, that's a, that's a big subject. It is. I mean, well, I would think you'd have a lot of images being pulled uh, with that many likes. I do. Yeah. I, I show up everywhere. Probably my biggest complaint is artists, painters. Oh, that that take it and paint? They Well, a lot of them just take it and paint it. But, uh, you know, the ones that ask, I probably get asked three or four or five times a day. It's constant. Wow. You know, and I just have to say, no, I don't do that anymore. So you're getting two or three calls a day asking if they can paint your images. Yeah, email. Well, emails or Facebook messages. So it's tiring. You know, and the work, it shows up everywhere. You know, I get a lot of messages from people saying, hey, did, I saw your work on this site for sale or that site for sale. Or on eBay or, you know, a lot, a lot lately has shown up on these Chinese sites. Where they're really? Selling, yeah, where they're selling, these companies are selling work as original paintings. Oh. Yeah. And trying to track down and get a hold of somebody. To tell them to cease and desist. If you're getting three three or four calls a day, that would just be a nightmare. Oh, it's it's Because you know that one out of ten is probably just going to go ahead and do it anyway. Probably, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's just social media. It's a price you pay by having your work out there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to get stolen. Right. You know. What is the benefit to you to having a page that has 799,000 likes? 
Because you're not, you don't have that many people participating in workshops. You're only doing 10 or 15 people at a time. So tell me about your thoughts on that. You know, I ask people when they come to workshops, I say, how did you hear about me? And a lot of them say, oh, I saw, I saw your work on Facebook. So it does, it does have an effect, but it's also, I don't know, I have mixed, I have mixed feelings about social media. Like, for instance, last holiday season, I did a few posts saying, you know, my book is out there, my new book, it's available, you can get it through Amazon. Right, and that um, kicked up sales or not? It kicked, well, a little bit. Not nearly as much as I would expect. And I think this is the thing with social media. People love to see a picture. They like it. They comment on it. Um, but will they actually go and spend $35 or $40 on a book? Mm. I think the, the numbers get cut down. Right. Well, and plus Facebook's changed the whole deal. You know, it used to be that if people liked your page, they'd see at least some of your posts. Now you might be only getting 10% of the people that right. actually see something of yours from, yeah. your, from your page. Oh, it's changed a lot. You know, I watch the little numbers that say how many people you've reached when you do the post. And there was a point about a year ago where I had, you know, half as many likes as I do now, but I was getting four times as many, as much response. There was a, there was a time where I would post a photo with a little comment and I would get almost, a, it would reach almost a million people. Now with twice as many likes on my page, uh, typically, you know, if I do a good one, it'll be 200,000. So, Twice as many likes, a fourth as many, uh, much reach. So it's really an eighth as what, of what it used to be. Wow. Okay. So yeah, it's frustrating. I've noticed lately when you, if you put a link in a post. Yeah, what the, happens to it then? The number of people reached drops to about 10 or 15% of what it would be if you just posted a photo. So somehow in, in Facebook's algorithms, I think it's set up so if, if it detects a link or hyperlink, it will cut down the exposure of that post enormously. I tried one recently, and I, I did a second post without a link in the post, and I, put, and I put the link in the first comment, and it got 10 times the response as the original post. Interesting. Okay, so that's a little technique. It is. They're cutting back a lot right. on this kind of thing. Because, yeah, obviously they want you to pay for advertising. Right, yeah, and especially if it's a link to your website or something like that. They want you to pay for it. So, you know, you, you talked about the, the therapy of photographing horses and how it's sort of changed your whole outlook on life. Can you talk about that a little bit? I think when I first saw started spending time around horses. I was I was working with a human therapist, a couple of them actually, and kind of going through, you know, what I call the dark night of the soul. Uh, kind of depressed, not really kind of lost. And uh, I wasn't making great headway with the human therapist, but when I started to spend time with horses, um, there was something about that relationship that really helped me to grow and learn who I was, and um, I'm not sure how to articulate it best, but I think the word authenticity comes up a lot. Horses, in the, in in their unique way, uh, 
kind of reveal to you or mirror back who you are and who you're not. They don't really tolerate um, incongruency in people. So if you or if you're acting like you're one thing and they're sensing that you're something else, um, they know it and they they call you on it. And I think what had happened through all the advertising work, you were so I, many so many things to so many different people. I became a chameleon, and mm-hmm. I think I really lost touch with who I was, who my authentic self really was. And you know, or just help me find that again. Mm-hmm. So, just out of curiosity, do you own any horses? I uh, I have four. My wife and I have four. Okay, and you, so I assume you ride as well. Occasionally, not okay. much. Just some trail rides, or mostly trail rides. But I don't ride that much anymore. To me, they're more like you know, they're part of the family. I like to I like to hang out with them. Um, but I don't really ride that much anymore. Does your wife ride? Uh, a little bit more than me, but not. Not, Not so that much. much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I certainly appreciate you being willing to talk to me, given that you're getting four or five calls a day from people wanting to paint your work. <laughs> and I'm anticipating that my 800 likes might jump up a little bit with you on there. So <laughs> I appreciate that as well. And actually, we had several people saying, Tony Stromberg, Tony Stromberg, Tony Stromberg, you know. <laughs> so I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for letting me uh, interview you for this. You're very and, welcome. And uh, I appreciate everything you've said. I'm trying to refocus my work to be more equine. I like to shoot people with horses. I don't see a lot of people in any of your pic- pictures. Do you do any pictures with people? Not really. You it's know, all about horses. A lot of people ask me that. You know, mm-hmm. you look at my work; it's just horses. Right. No, no tack, no riders, no competition of any kind. It's just horses at liberty. Right. You know, I like right. to call it the pure horse. The pure horse. Okay. Well, I want to thank you for uh, coming on the show, and we are on iTunes. We certainly appreciate it if people who are listening today. Uh, would give us a rating and review and uh, pass it on and and subscribe and share it with their friends. And uh, thank you again, Tony. And we'll, we'll close it off right about here. Okay? okay. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, Tony, I just called you back because I had forgotten... I was going to ask you all about this website. It's it's called the Top Tenny website, and it declared you as one of the top ten equine photographers in the world. Can you tell me more about how that came to be? You know, Peter, I have no idea. I don't know. I just saw it posted, and I started to get congratulations. Uh, from 799,000 people? From a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> And it was fun, you know. Um, I'm not sure who they are or how, how they started or how they do it or who the people are behind it. I just, you know, I'm not, I don't know how they found out my work or the other photographers that made it to the list. But, you know, did it you, was a nice... Did you know those other photographers or some of them? Uh, I know some of them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and they, they all sort of have that uh, 
at liberty horses uh, kind of look that you you do? I think a lot of them do. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I recall, yeah, I remember scrolling through. Yeah, I think most of them do, as I recall. Right. Well, I didn't see any, you know, event photographers or uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't either. Portrait photographers. It was all horses. So yeah. No, that was a really nice boost uh, that day. That really made my day. And did you see a lot of new likes on that, or is it just the personal gratification that you got from that? I think it's personal gratification, you know, keeps me, you know, stuff like that keeps you going. You know, that's another aspect of social media. You know, when I sometimes I'm feeling down or <laughs> like things aren't moving and I'll do a post and I'll read, you know, 300 or 400 comments, you know, and it just brings me back right back up again. And this was, and this was a big one. You know, the fact that they put me in position one was a really tickled me as well. Uh huh. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I posted about that on the Equine Photographers podcast, the blog post. So um, I just thought, okay, well, I'm going to have to call him. So I did. So <laughs> again, I appreciate your time. And that's no problem. all I wanted to ask. Thanks. Okay. You're welcome. Bye bye. Bye, Peter. Thanks for joining us for the Equine Photographers podcast. We hope that you were inspired to grow and improve as an equine photographer by listening today. Join us for the next episode to learn, grow, and be inspired as we interview some of today's outstanding equine image makers.